Do some situations in your life or people that you meet often seem to be a bit like a scene from Succession? So Succession is that really popular series that um, so many people are talking about um, that I think has just recently finished. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to explore some of the characters in Succession and what that can tell you about um, personalities and how they develop from situations that you've experienced in your own life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can improve your relationships, head over to therelationshipmaze.com where we have lots of free resources and our online conflict style quiz so you can discover your argument style in relationships and how you can improve it. And subscribe to this podcast. Welcome to today's podcast. And I don't know if you've ever watched the show Succession, but Succession is a really gripping, compelling show that's um, just recently finished, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we are totally um, hooked on Succession at the moment. We just uh, watched the first two series. We haven't seen the whole thing yet, so no spoilers, please. And we're really drawn into this program because the characters are so fascinating and the interaction with the characters uh, is just so fascinating of course and because it's such a highly dysfunctional family that it's um, really interesting to see how they all you know what happens in the family dynamics where are they going wrong um, how do they influence each other how does one character um, make another character do something else and response is just super interesting yeah and I don't know um, about anyone else that watched it but when we watched the first episode uh, we didn't watch much more. I think we might watch first couple, mm. but mm. it took a while to get into because mm. we just thought we don't like any of his characters. Yeah. And also, it was all about the sort of business world that just mm. didn't really, it just didn't, the, 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 the topic didn't seem engaging. But as you learn more about the characters, it mm. becomes really, really compelling. Mm. And I think this is one of the things we talked about in another podcast is uh, the shadow. Mm. Like we all have a shadow. It's that part of ourselves that we prefer not to acknowledge. Mm. It's that part of ourselves that characteristics that we may have tried to hide away or kind of things that we think are kind of bad. So we try to kind of push them aside and kind of keep them deeply inside. Mm. Not that we're going to really engage with those things much, but we, we think that these things are shameful. And I think sometimes in a show like this, where we see people that really make us think, this is a person that's so horrible, so objectionable, sometimes it may also stir up some of those shadow elements in terms of, mm. <laughs> you know, the things that we, we don't like to acknowledge, that there may be some of these sort of desires uh, mm. ourselves to engage in certain ways. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think what's also interesting about Succession is that we can see, we see the, the family patriarch, Logan Roy, who is this big media mogul, who's, um, I think, modelled on uh, lots of, uh, current figures in the media world who are very, very well, extremely wealthy, so that, like, like the top level wealthy. Uh, so we see him and we see him in interaction with his children and we can see why the children are struggling with certain aspects of their life because this uh, man, uh, Logan, he is just so dominating. He's like this monstrous figure who basically has control, co complete control over his children, his adult children they can't get away from him can they so it's really interesting to see I mean we don't know that much about Logan's family It'd be interesting to see if um, 
If we ask this family to draw up a genogram, you know, like a, a family tree, it'd be very interesting to see what, what Logan's roots are. We know that he comes from Scotland, I think. We know that he comes from a, a less well-to-do family and then kind of worked his way up and became incredibly wealthy. And we know that he has a very troublesome relationship with um, his, one of his brothers, who also features in the series. But yeah, what's interesting is that yeah. he's so... He's so monstrous, this man, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, being from Scotland, uh, roots from Scotland doesn't actually, may not actually relate to that. My family's mm. from Scotland. Yeah. And uh, hopefully I'm not a total narcissist, so she has. But yeah, so and, and, and I think the thing that's really stands out for me is how desperate all the children are for... Mm real love yeah, yeah for his real love and it's sort mm -hmm. of they go to any length to mm. try to see some sort of real affection from their father but mm. they're trying to kind of, they have to prove them it's like they constantly have to prove themselves mm -hmm. and this is a theme that i see with so many people that i work with to a lesser extent mm. where there's you know, maybe they knew they were loved by their parents, but they never really felt it deeply mm -hmm. they kind of cognitively knew mm. that the parents must have loved them mm -hmm. But it's having that sense that really feeling that they love you, which I've found with a lot of people, just mm. people don't experience. I think what's worse, to some extent, with Logan Roy is, and, and the relationship with the children is that he gives them breadcrumbs. So he's not, all, he's not like a, a monster through and through all of the time with his children. There are these moments, aren't there, when he gives them attention, when he reassures them when he might even tell them that he loves them. So he gives them these little crumbs and then they're back in, they're hooked back in again um, to, you know, to prove themselves. They get the attention that they crave from their father. They also, of course, have their underlying other motivations as well because it's all about power and, you know, who, who, who will have more power in this relationship, in, this, in the family dynamics. But, but there is, yeah, as you say, rightly say, there's this theme running through it about love. So he, he breadcrumbs his children, doesn't he, at times. He feeds them a little bit and then he destroys them again in the next... Uh, in the next moment. It's so devastating. It's really quite devastating to watch at times, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, and I mean, to me, I think this, I don't know what you think, but mm. to me, this is a sign of, of, of a real narcissist and really narcissistic behaviour where mm -hmm. you can give this illusion of love, illusion of compliments. You kind of feed mm. these kind of hooks in, but mm. ultimately you're destroying the other person. It's all, it's all about you. It's all about, it's all about Logan Roy. It's all mm. about him having that acknowledgement and mm. he doesn't care if he destroys his family i mean you know he's happy for mm. his children to go to prison yeah maybe even to kind of uh, do themselves over i think even yeah. or kind of harm themselves it's sort yeah. of you know as long as his his power as long as he is winning yeah his power is absolute isn't it so yeah. I mean, it would be interesting you know obviously I imagine he comes from a rather traumatised uh, background. He's traumatised himself, I would imagine. That's why I'm saying it's always interesting to see where, where does this come from. What are the roots for his behaviour? Yeah, well, we I don't mean, know. Yeah. We yeah. don't know. We can just see what he does to his children. Yeah. And they all, um, they all kind of try to, they try to play the game. Hmm. They try to play his game. They try to um, assimilate. Uh, they try to copy their father's behaviour as well. And they don't really fare very well with it, do they? 
No, absolutely not. And we can look at some of the characters, like we've uh, yeah. so we've just written some of these on a sheet. So mm. uh, Kendall Roy. So Kendall Roy, who at the beginning of the whole series was trying to kind of take over, kind of taking control of the company. Mm. But then through a series of events ends up being, again, subservient to his father. Mm. But you see the theme all along is that desperate needs to have his father's love. Mm. Yeah, um, he is. He's the eldest, of course. So there's also this. Um, well, he's not the eldest. There are three siblings with one mother, and then there's uh, the oldest brother who comes half brother who comes from a different relationship. So he's the oldest of the three main um, characters, the three main siblings: Kendall, Shiv, and Roman. And he is. He was sort of set up to be the successor. That's the title of the show. So like, who's gonna who's gonna take over the company after Logan's death? He is, um, he's got addiction problems because he's so troubled, so his coping strategy for this difficult relationship, he's so desperate to get approval from his father, he never really quite gets it. So his coping strategy then is um, to is addiction. Um, you know, he drinks, he, um, he takes drugs, so he completely... He, um, he spirals down into this kind of self-harm behaviour once in a while when... He can't cope. Yeah, and this is, we've talked about this in other episodes of the podcast as well. This sort of addiction is mm. is often what we call um, uh, when we do emotional avoidance. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to avoid those difficult emotions we don't want to face. So drugs are a common way of doing that. So it gives mm. you that, that way of not having to face those difficult feelings, those difficult mm. emotions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is something that, you know, we see... It is frequently, you know, I think is more commonplace than you think in, in sort of in some mm. financial mm. Uh, establishments. Although, you know, I don't want to generalise, but um, mm. so, you know, this is something I think can be used in, in, in these, you know, as a real way of avoiding difficult emotions, avoiding, you know, those deeper things. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean... <clears throat> All of the three uh, children have an insecure attachment. There's not one single... I'd say there's not a single character in this whole program who comes across as being particularly secure because also the mother of the children so Logan's first or second wife I'm not sure where she where she ranks in, in the order he has several wives uh, has had several wives the mother of Kendall Schiff and Roman is equally just like Logan completely unavailable to her children she lives in the UK she doesn't um, she doesn't show any interest she's only she actually actively puts them down when uh, when they meet up um, they turn up to see her she can't even be bothered to be around so she's just she has no presence yes and just to be really clear being a mother living in the UK doesn't mean that that's <laughs> no, no. So yeah, it's not about no, me. Sorry. It's about the fact that she lives in a different, a she different lives in country. A different country. Sorry, yeah. yes, I didn't yeah, so not all mothers in the UK or fathers <laughs> in the UK are, are like that. Just to, but I think what's really interesting for me with Kendall Roy, and again, you know, mm. you have to watch this if you haven't watched it, mm. is the desperate need for love. For he get into relationships and very quickly form a very strong feeling of love for the other person, mm. and it's like almost so quickly within sort of a, a few days, it seems, mm. and you know. It's expressing love and then suddenly the the partner or the person he's going out with as soon as there's anything bad said about the father mm. it's mm. suddenly you know this is not the person he needs to idealize kendall always needs yeah. to to idealize everyone basically he yeah. idealizes his father he idealizes the women who he comes across um but nobody ever kind of quite meets his his needs no his ideals 
So in terms of attachment styles, is that mm. really sort of ambivalent? Yeah, I think they all are. I think uh, I would say arguably all of them are um, probably uh, ambivalently attached, insecurely attached. Oh, I think Roman Fearful. maybe is more avoidant. Because we're, we're certainly, from what I we haven't seen the whole thing, but no. certainly he's, he will, you know, we never see him really get into a proper mm. relationship. And, and that's interesting as well, that with the relationships he's in, he mm. never sleeps with the person he's, he's with. He has, you know, no. he can't have a sexual encounter with the, mm. uh, the partners he finds, which, you know, mm. is also fascinating. But mm. he gets sexually stimulated by um, either being kind of, criticised or kind of verbally abused mm. uh, by an older by an older woman mm-hmm. or you know even that sort of fancy of the older woman which seems to be again it's that sort of sense uh, you know Freud would of course talk about the Oedipus complex mm. yes. you know, that sort of sense of you know having that love from the mother he never had which then gets confused mm. into relationships mm. absolutely yeah so it's, uh, sexuality is very unclear as well isn't it we don't quite know um is he heterosexual? Is he homosexual? Is he pansexual? Is he asexual? Who knows? He's yeah. interesting in that way. So he's very... There's something very unformed also about... Generally about Roman. There's something not very fixed. Um, unformed is maybe not the term, but he's not very fixed. He's very fluid. He's very... Um, um, well, yeah, unformed is probably the term. There's something He hasn't got a very strong sense of self. None of them have. No, absolutely. That, but that sense of needing, you know, almost getting stimulated by somebody who's being abusive to him, which, mm. you know, again, is that learning from the past. And it's, again, mm. it's something I've seen, you know, I have seen with quite mm. a few clients is mm. that sort of, you know, self-destruction, that sort of sort of having to be in relationships where it's, it is very destructive because that's what they've grown used to. Mm. And it's sort of, they've formed that self-image where they feel so badly about themselves that if someone was to treat them nicely, mm. they, they can't, they, they just, it, it's too against that self-image. It's too against that schema or the scripts that they have about themselves. So mm. when somebody's treating them in this very negative way, although, you know, to most people it seems horrible, it seems awful, you know, this, it, it resonates with that sense of identity. It kind of, you know, is almost what they're used to. It's the only way that they experience love. Mm-hmm. You know, some people grow up where they never have a positive experience of love. And if they're never shown love, you know, even somebody being unpleasant to them, you know, a, you know, a mother or father being unpleasant, at least they're getting attention rather than being ignored. And we see this as a pattern in, in some sort of childhood experiences. And as bizarre as it seems, you know, some people would uh, seem to get more sense of, you know, rather having that negative Im- influence rather than just being ignored. Well, having attention. Yeah, so it gives that sort of attention. Yeah, because the worst thing is neglect. Yeah, the worst thing is neglect and so is development. So, Mm. but when you get that negative attention, it becomes part of our schema. It becomes part Mm. of our script. It's like, that's who you are. Mm -hmm. So we keep getting into those relationships to re-experience that. Mm. Yeah, because the theme of neglect runs through, of course, through the whole program. And I'm thinking particularly with Roman, he's the youngest, um, the youngest of the siblings. Um, he doesn't get attention from, um, he gets occasional attention from his father, as I've said earlier on. He gets no attention from his mother, who's over in the UK. He also doesn't get any attention from his siblings. 
they don't really, they don't offer a kind of nurturing experience for him either, which sometimes happens in families where there's more, whether there's several siblings, the younger ones sometimes get attention from the older siblings, if not from the parents. So he doesn't get it from anyone. He's quite lost. Yeah, he's, he's very lost. But mm. I mean, as, as the show um, moves through, as it moves mm. on, mm-hmm. I feel you get more of a sense of there does become more connection between the siblings. Mm. I mean, there is this almost, mm. there is, all, to me, I don't, I don't know how mm. you experience it, but there is almost mm. a sense of some sort of love between the siblings. Right, yeah, it's an interesting one. So that's what I see is that there is mm. this interaction wherever, you know, there are moments where you think actually this, however dysfunctional it is, mm. this is sense that they kind of care about each other. Yes, I suppose they, the difficulty that they have is that they're constantly pitted against each other in yeah. this struggle for the, the, the succession. Yeah, well, succession, fa- struggle, and the father's attention and love. Yeah, but it's not really the succession, because succession, no, exactly. you know, in terms of the ownership of the company, that power and control... Exactly. Yeah. It's really about the father's love. I agree. Yeah, who's the favourite? And because yeah, they can't, because it. they ultimately know they're not going to get the father's love. Mm. I think this sort of power and control is that replacement. They think, well, you know, we're not going to get that, so we will get this, mm. and this might represent that love, which ultimately will be hollow and shallow. Mm-hmm. Which you know we see with a lot of a lot of situations in you know real life where people become very fixated just on making huge amounts of wealth, but mm. ultimately don't feel fulfilled or happy. Mm. Yes, which is also very much this theme uh, with Shiv. She's the only girl in the setup. Um, Siobhan, or called, she's called Shiv. Yeah, she's, um, she is, how, how would I, I'm not quite sure how to describe her. She's quite slippery, isn't she? She's quite difficult to pin down. Um, she is very scheming. Um, she's forever kind of looking, you know, sort of an- analyzing what's going, what's going down here in this situation, and then tries to kind of find a way around it. She's very manipulative. She is. Um, she's really, in some ways, the sort of a, a very toxic person, and she has this highly, uh, I'd say, well, arguably highly dysfunctional marriage as well. She just gets married in the series, and the second. I think it's in the second series, isn't it, that she gets married um, to um, one of the, I think, the, the worst characters for me in this drama series, Tom, who's like a, I think the actor described his character as a sort of a permanent grease stain in the series. <laughs> He's really slimy and awful and, and, and tries to kind of uh, get in there into the power dynamics. Anyway, so back to Schiff. Yeah, how do you, how do you experience her? Well, I think... Like you said, to me, she's the most clever and maybe the most manipulative in a kind of, mm. um, in a more clever way, mm-hmm. but kind of in, in a really nasty way mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's done through real thought, whereas the guy is uh, kind of more just jumping straight in and just doing stuff. And mm. not, it's not really so, you know, maybe not so much, so much thought put into the whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you mentioned with uh, Tom that, he, that she's married to, to me, it's sort of... Um, it's difficult to tell if it's a marriage of convenience for her, like mm-hmm. somehow she's using him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and although Tom is, um, and I really would prefer it if he had a different name, because uh, <laughs> Ravi didn't have the same name as me, but, you know, like you said, that grease stain. But Human in some ways stain. I see him as, you know, he's just, to me, he's very dim. Mm. He wants into this power, but mm. he, he's a bit dim. Yeah. And he basically, in some ways, I think, 
naive as well. He's just, mm. he's a bit clueless. And I think in that, in the relationship, and I, you may see this differently, but with Shiv, to me, he actually seemed to want that relationship just with her. And when she was wanting, you know, polyamory, clearly he just wanted to be with her. So in a way, there's, there's this side, even with the characters, where there are some qualities that, mm. that kind of maybe could fit not into the stereotypes. They're not totally stereotyped. There is a, of yeah. course. Well, they're rounded yeah. characters. Yeah. And, and uh, nobody is entirely, you know, they're rounded characters. They all have histories. And that's yeah. kind of what comes, what comes out so well in the series that you can kind of see where they're coming from, how, how they become the people that they have become and what they struggle with. Yeah. And their vulnerabilities, right? Yeah. Mm. We can yeah. see that they're all incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. And in their vulnerability, they sometimes become very attacking a lot yeah. of the time. So there is a sort of, there is always this, um, you know, this survival theme running through the whole show as well. Mm. Like, who's going to survive this? This um, yeah. cesspit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, of sharks, really. Yeah. And, and that takes on to, you know, another character, Connor Roy. Yeah. So, Con, which... Um, I think is a really interesting character and uh, basically almost that, that comedic side, I find. Like in mm. traditional Shakespeare, there's this sort of, there's always the jester character. Mm. He's almost like a jester character in the thing, which he's just... He's the he's, oldest brother. Yeah, he's the those. oldest brother, but he's, yeah. he's completely delusional. So yes. he wants to be president or kind of, you know, basically he's in a relationship where he's paying this person, uh, as far as I'm aware, to be in a relationship with him. But to him, it's a real relationship and... Mm. Everything is fake. And I think, again, this is you know, a question of how many times in our own life, it, if we have had challenges in our past, do we create the ideal life that we want in our minds? Mm, yeah, he's you a know. fantasist, isn't yeah, he? He lives yeah. in fantasy. He yeah. could, um, he's probably the, the happiest of the lot, isn't he? Because he lives in another world. Well, actually, I think he's the most unhappy, but he's covering it up right. with the other world because he's the most unhappy. Well, I think yeah. they're all unhappy. There, but yes. his way of dealing with it is living in this fantasy world. And, mm. and again, I think, you know, the many people that... I've worked with in the past, and many people I've I've known have, to a lesser or greater extent, had fantasy worlds mm. to some extent. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, fantasy worlds, you know, having some fantasy world can can be engaging. It can mm. can make life lively. Like mm. when I was studying psychology, uh, I remember they're talking about how to make sort of different activities more interesting. So you know, somebody who a psychologist would, when he was driving on the motorway, just would imagine he was a, a Formula One driver. Mm. Not driving like that, but just imagining, trying to make it just the experience more interesting, engaging. I think some of these fantasies, as long as they're harmless, um, uh, can, can make things more engaging. Yeah, I think the difficulty with this particular character, Con, is that because he is uh, living so much in a fantasy world, he struggles with relationships. He doesn't know how to relate because he doesn't relate to real people. He, re he always relates to objects. Everyone is an object, really, who serves a particular function for him. He doesn't really know how to, how to have a, an engagement with a real person. I think that's his difficulty. Yeah, because his reality is fake. All mm. of his relationships are really fake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's the thing is that, you know, it's that challenge of really looking at ourselves and being able to kind of look at the things that are most painful sometimes, look at the, the experiences we've had that are very challenging and exploring those emotions that are very painful 
are so important so we don't end up living this sort of fake life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, and, and how many, you know, there may be times in all our lives where we sometimes have relationships, whether it's at work or uh, wherever it happens to be, where there is an element of I have to behave like this. I have to be someone I'm not. Mm-hmm. But I think the question is, how much do we do that in our lives? And you know, learning from these extreme examples and all these different styles, I think, can give us some learnings in terms of uh, you know, our own experience and how we behave. And we may think, well, I'm nothing like them. But there may be elements of some of these characters that we can see in ourselves mm. and kind of think, well, you know, well, what is it about my attachment? What are the experiences I had when I was younger? Am I you know, desperately find, wanting to find love but don't feel I'm lovable? Am I creating sort of a, Do I have to put on a persona everywhere because I don't feel comfortable with who I am? Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think there's some interesting lessons we can learn yeah, from yeah. succession. And I, absolutely. And I think the other thing that is really interesting about the programme is to look at the, the constellations, the family constellations, and um, who occupies which position in the family and how that constantly shifts. So one of the things sometimes um, that we do in therapy is that we ask um, a client to shift some objects around. So for example, I have some pebbles in my ther- in my consulting room and I might ask a client to, um, to uh, allocate a particular member of the family to each pebble and then I ask them to put them down on the floor and sort of arrange them in the constellation that... Um, they experience their family as so you know two of the pebbles might be a bit closer one of the pebbles that might be a sibling might be a bit further outside of the circle and so on and so forth so what's interesting here is how they shift around in this con- in this interesting constellation all of the time and how these alliances come together sometimes you know sometimes they have a common enemy sometimes uh, each of them is uh, is the other's enemy Sometimes they're allies again. So how that, how they kind of uh, uh, get constellated in connection in, in relationship to their father, who is you know this bright star at the sky always. So that's really quite fascinating for me. Yeah, to absolutely. Watch. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. So if you haven't watched the session. Go and watch it because it's a wonderful show. Yeah, there's lots uh, to learn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and if you want to find out how you can improve your relationship or gain more insights into yourself, we have our course, The Relationship Maze, mm-hmm. where you explore yourself and you explore how you relate to others. And if you're in a relationship, how you relate to your partner. Uh, you can take our free argument style quiz on our website too. So head over there now and have a look at therelationshipmaze.com. And we look forward to speaking with you next time. Take good care until then. Bye.